Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm story expert and big snake thing. Not Mayor Big, but pretty lethal looking Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm silky and effervescent film scholar Noelle LaCroix. <laughs> and we're here today to talk about Shadow, the eighth episode of season five. Shadow aired on November 21st, 2000 and was written by David Fury and directed by Daniel Atias. This is a spot in the script where I remind you that spoilers abound on Still Pretty and we like it that way. <laughs> Sometimes we even spoil ourselves, by which I mean I forget something really big and plot important and Lonnie reminds me. <laughs> Take talk drag, tick freaking talk. Let's go on patrol. <laughs> In shadow, Buffy and Dawn wait while Joyce goes in for a CAT scan. The Scoobies gather at the magic box to fret about Riley being reckless and research Glory, and Glory gets an ancient ritual from one of her demon minions. Also, Spike breaks into Buffy's house to smell her sweater and gets caught by Riley. It's a predator thing, nothing wrong with it. Yes, there is, Spike. Riley and Spike have a pissy match over Buffy, and Spike tells Riley about Joyce being in the hospital. Riley rushes over and sits with Dawn while Joyce tells Buffy that they found a shadow in her brain and that they have to operate to figure out what it is. At the magic box, while Giles and the gang try to figure out who this mysterious woman is, thinking she may predate language itself, Glory walks right in, buys some trinkets for her ritual, and hustles on out again. Thank you. She could be anywhere. The doctor comes out and tells Buffy that Joyce has a brain tumor that might or might not be operable and that might or might not kill her. While Buffy reels from the news, intern Ben comes in to sit with her. He tells her to get out for a little while and she decides to turn to magic. Riley tries to talk her out of it, but she rushes off, leaving him with Dawn. What do you want me to tell Dawn about your mom? Tell her we don't know anything yet. At the magic box, Anya sees the items that Glory bought and freaks out. These two items sold together are dangerous. Giles realizes that the woman he sold them to is Glory. Buffy shows up looking for a spell she can do to heal her mother, but since the brain tumor isn't mystical in nature, they can't really do anything. In other news, though... The uh, demon woman was here, the one who attacked you. They figure out from what Glory bought that she's going to make a monster cobra and Buffy heads to the zoo and interrupts Glory mid-incantation. They fight. Glory wipes the floor with Buffy while her minion finishes the ritual, and the giant cobra is created. Glory turns her attention to the giant cobra, allowing Buffy to escape, and gives it a command. The power is yours to see what is unseen, to find what is shrouded in shadow. Already, you know what I seek. I have given you form. Now find for me the key. Buffy calls from the hospital to report in about the snake. Giles takes care of Dawn while Buffy sits with Joyce in the hospital as the doctor gives her the news. And an insecure Riley runs off with Sandy the Vamp, lets her bite him, and then stakes her. Buffy comes to the magic box to get Dawn, but the snake busts in, takes a good whiff of Dawn, and rushes out. Why was the big snake afraid of Dawn? It knows. Buffy and Giles run out after the big snake in Giles' car as the snake rushes to Glory's mansion. Buffy chases it down and kills it just before it arrives. Glory is not pleased. At the hospital, Buffy leaves Joyce and Dawn alone to talk, and Riley shows up. He wants her to wail and cry so he can comfort her. And when she doesn't and rushes back to her sick mother's bedside, he feels sorry for himself alone in the hallway. 
All right, so here we are at Shadow, possibly one of the most forgettable episodes of Buffy. I think that, like, I, when I think, oh, this is the one with the giant snake, then I remember that part. Um, <laughs> but everything else about Shadow has always been imminently forgettable for me, and it's not that it's a bad episode. It's just not, like, a particularly great episode. But I don't know. What do you think, Noelle? Well, okay, I got all excited right out of the uh-huh. gate, right? Because this is the Joyce POV episode that wasn't. Right. This episode opens with this gorgeous sequence of Joyce getting her CAT scan. And the hospital looks ethereal and not creepy for once. And we get this lovely close-up of her mm-hmm. in the machine. Yeah. That's literally going to look inside her head. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if this were a movie, it would be all about Joyce's thoughts and feelings about being sick with two young adults to solo parent. Right. And that's not what we get because that's not the show that we're on. <laughs> um, and I'm bummed because they got me all set up uh-huh. and got me excited and made me want it. And then we get a snake with arms and uh, yeah. i'm not here <laughs> for it snake with arms. we're gonna talk about the snake but i mean come on <laughs> i mean i feel like i i feel like you only get so many giant snake monsters <laughs> and they've done the giant snake I'm well like, we did the giant snake with the mayor but there was also that huge like lizard the in the frat party snake. the basement yeah. snake yeah yeah this so is like reptile that boy. 2.0. Yeah. I don't I don't I, know. I don't know what's up with that. I mean, it's a terrible and, practical effect. And why why does the, the snake doesn't need arms? He's not slapping anybody. <laughs> He's not doing anything with those arms. The arms are just hanging out there. Why put arms on a snake? Like, um you I mean, they're big muscle man arms. So obviously it's to tell us that it's a boy snake. Uh, because if it was a girl snake monster, it would have long eyelashes and a hair bow. Oh, and a little like lipstick. Yep. <laughs> now, see, I would have been into that. I would have been into the big girly snake monster. Big girl Why does snake. Why snake monsters? Where are all the girl snakes? There's always I, boy snakes. They're always boys. Because we have trouble with female monsters, which yes. is why our our big bad is a beautiful woman mm-hmm. this season. Mm-hmm. I because we I, we have issues. We have as issues. a culture. <laughs> just as a, you know what? Just in general, like with everything, we just we have issues. We have lots and lots of issues. But yeah, no the the Joyce POV episode. Um, I, I yeah, it kind of feels like that in the beginning, and you think, wow, all of this time we've been using Joyce as a conflict vending machine. Maybe we're gonna give right. her an episode that's about her. Um, but we really don't get that. The closest we ever got to that was like maybe Band Candy, you know, where we actually spent a some little? time in Joyce's POV. Right? Yeah. Have we ever been in Joyce's POV aside from Band Candy? And I mean, you could argue that that might have been Giles's POV. But yeah, yeah, I'm racking my brain. I know I opened the show by saying I forget things, but I like <laughs> Joyce and I like, <laughs> right. I, I know I like Christine Sutherland. Yes. I like what she does with what they give her, mm-hmm. which is not a lot. But no, we right. don't get enough. No. We don't get enough Joyce. And this is how I know I'm old, by the uh-huh. way. This is how I know I'm old and a mom. I'm like, but what about the mom's feelings? But what about the mom? No, well, I know. that's not the show. That's not the show we're watching. But, but we get, you know, we get Giles episodes. We have Giles and a new man. You know, we have his we stuff. Do. We get his stuff going on and we don't get anything from Joyce's POV. And I think it could be 
um, it could be kind of fun to have had that episode, especially now where, you know, your protagonist, right, is the one with the most at stake. And so, you know, considering that Joyce is going to die, you know, like she's in the hospital yeah. for a brain tumor, that she's kind of got the most at stake in this. But we're really seeing it through Buffy's POV. And she, of course, has the most at stake because she also knows that Dawn is not actually her little sister. And there's there's right. all of that involved, too. So, I mean, Buffy's got a lot at stake. Like, it works. Um, but at the same time, like, Joyce is the is the character that's got something real going on. And we spend, I don't know, three seconds in her POV as we see her go into the machine. And then that's pretty much it, you know? Yeah. 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 And then she's unconscious. Yeah, and for most of Buffy it. Buffy is just, like fully leaded adult yes like she is just doing all of the adult things in this scary parental illness hospital Mm -hmm. scenario and it's great but it's also like a huge bummer it is it really is it would have been it would have been really nice um but you know other than than what we don't get in shadow (laughs) um uh, you know what we do get is of course the the weird giant snake and and we get a lot of glory we do. Lori's pretty good. We do. She is delightful as always. And now she's got an official name, baby. Yes, she does. She's actually this been is, named. This is the naming of mm-hmm. Glory. Mm-hmm. Um with her adorable, weirdly adorable sidekick for this oh, episode. Oh, drag, drag played by Kevin Wiseman, who some people may remember from Alias. He was adorable. He was kind of like the man in the chair in the TV show Alias. Love um, it. Loved him in that. And uh, and also he did um, he did one episode of The X-Files, which was so amazingly good. And I always remember him from that, too. Um, but yeah, he's a really, really fun character actor from the time period. And, uh, and it was really fun to kind of see him and even in all that makeup when I saw him I was like oh my god that's Kevin Wiseman and he emotes through that makeup too I love him fawning over her I know and all the linguistic gymnastics he does (laughs) in attempt to address her with the proper reverence (laughs) pull out pull out my insignificant tongue or whatever (laughs) she's like okay give it okay give me (laughs) he's like Oh my god. So good. It so is, good. It is real good. It's real good. But I love I mean, I loves me some glory. I like that she does her own magic supply run. Uh, yeah. I mean, considering she's got all the minions, but she's doing her own errands. I think that that's right. pretty she, cool. You know, cuz she's a she's a modern woman you know slash what? Sometimes you got to get being. out of the the weird super girly mansion space, I think. <laughs> The mansion is great. I love the mansion. All the bad guys always have a mansion. You know, like, or like, well, I mean, the mansions seem to be just like sprinkled all throughout Sunnydale. We had, of course, the uh, the Frank Lloyd Wright, you know, cement yes. mansion that, that Angel lived in during season three, paying rent through, I don't know, I guess he bought Microsoft in 1975. I have no idea, like, how that happened. But anyway, um, the the vampires just, I guess they just build up that, you know, income after a while. And they've got, you know, got a nest egg. You got to have a nest egg (laughs) as a vampire. Um, Right, right, You know, it's not like you're going to get a job. Um, And then, you know, we had, um, who else had a mansion? Oh, well, Dracula. I mean, Dracula, but he had his, like, magically flown in for the occasion exactly you know what i've never seen in sunnydale a big freaking castle castle yeah 
Delightful. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, so. yeah. Mm-hmm. Sunnydale, as we have mentioned, grows and shrinks depending on the exactly. needs of but the story. But it is lousy and with mansions and we get a whatever. big-ass one for glory, right? It's yeah. fine. It's, it's fine. fine. It's fine. But yeah, yeah, you can't always be living that mansion life. Sometimes you got to go to the Sometimes magic box. You gotta go out and be with check the people, out, right? Yeah. Check out the ad. Did right? anybody else pause and read the ad? Because it's delightful. <laughs> crystals potions death charms lollipops for the kids i'm like death charms death charms giles what what yeah i don't know i well i imagine anya probably wrote the (laughs) wrote the copy or place the ad or something but yeah i mean yeah maybe it's it's very exciting and there he is in the yellow pages do you remember those when those i do yes (laughs) (laughs) it's so funny because all of these shows like as time goes by they just age so much you know shit's gonna get weirder Um, and weirder i know does your mom use a cell phone uh maybe (laughs) I think so. Oh, poor Buffy. Yeah. But speaking, because I'm not done talking about Glory. Um, oh, no, keep talking there about is Glory. I love her. There is something to be said about Glory and language. Uh-huh. And I'm not totally 100% there yet. Yeah. Um, But especially since she's older than language, apparently, mm-hmm. which is fascinating. But the way she speaks is like everything else about her, this heightened, stylized production number. It is. It is. It is. It is kind of a spoken word thing. I really enjoy it. Yeah. There's like a rhythm and a cadence to her, uh, the way that she speaks. Um, There is the way that her minions speak to her. You know, the, mm-hmm. the way that, that Dreg just, you know, dances all over the language to try to pull out, you know, all of the all of the words that he can use to ex- just express her her wonderfulness. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's 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 very cool. And then, you know, in in an episode in which she is directly, you know, kind of reflected with language that she predates language itself. Um, that's kind of interesting. Also, the naming you know, mm-hmm. naming is always important. Naming is uh, is big for identity, right? You know, and he calls her Glorificus and she says, call me Glory. You know, yeah. um, so that's kind of interesting, too, you know, um, because we have we have such a power in names. Um, yeah. So I, I really I like that. I like that. I thought it was cool. She's Buffy like in her her linguistic Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's like there's something there's something quippy in the way, you know, she's grasping yeah. a pissed off cobra that she's just freed. And she says, chill, worm, I'm going to make you a star. I know. It's not quite Slayer quipping in the graveyard while staking vampires, but it's kind yeah. of in that same I think it's in the Canal. neighborhood. It's it's a very stylized form of expression. And I love the way that Claire Kramer delivers these lines, too. I mean, she is amazing with a chill worm. I'm going to make you a star. <laughs> like, I love the way that she says it. I love the way that she expresses those lines. She's really a fantastic actress, and I love her in this role. I think she's amazing. And I just, she just makes me smile every time she's on screen. I'm just like, me too. (laughs) Me too. You know what else makes me smile? I I like Anya in this. 
I like Anya in this a lot. Oh, of course. Yeah. Anya's fucking awesome. First of all, I love whenever we have Anya's capability. I love this moment where she's like, hey, 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 are you stupid or something? Um, I love that she she knows immediately that these two things sold together are extremely dangerous, right? Um, yeah. That Giles sold them to her. And then, of course, Giles, if it's any consolation, I may have overcharged her. <laughs> um, oh just all of yep. it is so adorable. It's so adorable. But I love, I love Anya's competence. I love when we use her, you know, a thousand years of experience with magic and vengeance and being a demon, you know, Um, that we actually use that to to inform what she brings, you know, to this group. And of course, like the way Xander talks to her after she says, you know, what are you stupid or something? And then Giles says, well, allow me to answer that with a firing, you know? And then Xander does this talking down to, we had a conversation about the workplace, you know, vocabulary or whatever it is that he says to her. And I love Xander so much in pretty much every other space. But whenever he talks to Anya, I just want to smack him. Yeah, it's not, it's not good. It's not cute. And I appreciate the I love a fish out of water. Yeah. I love someone who doesn't really know how to behave in mm-hmm. the society into yeah. which they have been plunked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that dynamic is a little too yeah. close to an actual bad relationship and not it, just... It really is. Uh, just the way he speaks to her with no respect. And the thing is, is that when, when Giles says, please allow me to answer that with a firing, right? Like that at least shows respect for her, you know? <laughs> like, But Xander just talks down to her, you know? Um, Anya, we've had this conversation. He talks to her like she's a child and she is a thousand years older than him. You know, um, so, yeah, I, I find that really annoying. But aside from that, I absolutely adored Anya in this. I also love that Tara, again, Tara's intuition. Again. Like, she is amazing. Um, she is the one who sees. She is the one who knows. Um, I absolutely love that from her. Um, but then we have this moment, though, um, where, you know, Tara's like, well, what if she's something else altogether, you know? And then Giles yep. does this classic repeating what a woman just said as though it was his original insight you know because she's like so old it predates the written word and then a few minutes later Giles like well maybe she predates language itself and like okay and I was just about to get irritated by it and then he credits Tara with the insight so I was like okay at least you did that you know but it was one of those things where I'm like really really Giles Giles I thought you were better than that yeah he's not um (laughs) he's just i'm sorry well he does credit tara immediately afterwards so there is that Uh, we love you work dad but uh. we love you work dad (laughs) (laughs) oh god it's pretty it's pretty fun um so we have this shadow right and the the name of the episode is shadow um it's so so evocative and then it goes nowhere (laughs) right i 
mean, here's the thing is that we even, we have a two beat, right? We have Joyce as a shadow in her brain, right? And then we have Glory say, the power is yours to see what is unseen, to find what is shrouded yeah. in shadow. And then I kept waiting for the third shadow because I'm like, come on, you're setting up a three beat. You got to have a third shadow. And like, I don't know if I just missed it, but I did not see it. And I'm like, David Fury, you know better than that. <laughs> Come on. You know yeah. better than that. You can do better than that, right? Um, but he did I not. I mean, maybe, all right. Maybe, maybe they, it's maybe they the shot shadow. it and had to cut it from the episode for time or something. But there has to be a it's third the, shadow in there. It's supposed to be the shadow that Riley is casting now that he's all dark and broody. And oh, my God. No. <laughs> no. I mean... This is, meh. it goes nowhere. It's not. <laughs> See, that's one thing, too. Whenever we come up against Shadow, I'm like, now, which one was that again? Like, I never remember. The only thing memorable about this, I mean, aside from, I guess, the, the Riley letting himself get bit and then and then staking Sandy is somewhat memorable. Um, but, like, yeah, the, the, the weird snake with arms is the only thing that I remember ever from this episode. And there's just not... <laughs> There's just not that much there, there, you know? Um, well, so, yeah, gotta I find have some it. some filler episodes. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> we got to have some filler episodes. We got, like, I guess, so. yeah, 22 episodes. I, you know, I still think 22 episodes is way too many um, for a season of television, but that's how it was back then, you know, so they had to, they had to do something, you know? Um, but, okay, so we brought up Riley briefly. Um, so let's go ahead and talk a little bit about Riley because, um, well, you know, because Riley. Well, first we have this kind of wonderful, if creepy and weird, but at least textually it's supposed to be creepy and weird thing with Spike going into Buffy's room and smelling her sweater. Dear God, I love this scene. I, you know, I love it. I love it. It's creepy and it's weird. Um, but the whole like pissing match between Riley and Spike, where he's like, face it, white bread, Buffy's got a type and you're not it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you mm -hmm. want, like, by a certain age, you want your bread to have some, like, crunchy munchies in it. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to have some, like, give me some millet and some sunflower I'm... seeds in there. <laughs> you can't and the just... thing is, Spike, you know, calling, I mean, I guess, okay, it's not just that Spike is very pale, you know, and then he's got the blonde hair. And so him calling somebody white bread feels a little bit. But at the same time, like Spike has some edge. Spike has some flavor. Spike's got some spice, you know, whereas <laughs> Riley, you know, is kind of like a big potato, you know, um, he's, you know, I mean, and I'm, I like potatoes, you know, whatever. But he's kind of got that big potato-y kind of feel to him. You know, <laughs> He's very oh starchy God. is Riley, I think. <laughs> I think he's a little starchy. Um, oh but yeah, it, it's really fun um, to see them. It's fun to see Spike be able to be like, you know, I know what's going on with Buffy and you don't. Um, That's yeah. such a dick move, but it's, of course it is, because yeah. Spike is, he's not the good guy. Mm -hmm. It's such a spiky Spike move. <laughs> oh yeah, she was buying me drinks last night. Uh, uh -huh. uh, he's... Uh, 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 so funny. Oh my this God. is, I mean, this is my second favorite thing in the whole episode. Oh, this yeah? whole vignette mm -hmm. of them. Uh -huh. I call it the enemy of my girlfriend is my frenemy. <laughs> I love it. I yes. love it so much, especially because Riley seems to have a weird fondness for Spike. 
Really? Unless that's the writer's delight leaking onto Riley. I mean, maybe it's probably that because <laughs> fondness for Spike is the beats of Buffy. B e e t s, not B e a t s. <laughs> Never mind. Bad metaphor. Um, <laughs> when you put it in, and okay. Sorry. <laughs> I come well, up with these things. Everybody, no, it's. It's beautiful, and I love when you do that shit. It's adorable. Um, but, but like, yeah, I mean, everybody loves Spike. Everybody loves Spike, and I think that the writers love Spike. Everybody, and so maybe, like, I mean, honestly, like, if you were an actor, trying not to like just absolutely adore being in a scene with James Marsters doing Spike. <laughs> I mean, that'd be tough. I mean, and everybody has to be a little bit compatible with Spike so that we can put Spike in as many situations as possible. Because that is how we get our best Spike. I mean, the Spike that we get in this scene Mm -hmm. is the Spike that I was missing in last week's episode. So I'm very happy that this is here. Yes. Him sniffing that sweater and then trying to cover it up like he didn't. <laughs> and then being like, ooh, Slayer smell. <laughs> Slayer musk. <laughs> like, I'm so evil. It's so funny. And the way it he's really he's totally prepared to deny it. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, no, I'm not going to die. There's not a problem yeah. here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then yoinking yoinking a little something something on the way out is just <laughs> it's oh classic God, it's so spike good. it's exactly who spike is it's exactly it's who so spike is good yeah. it is so funny and so in character mm-hmm. and his whole like being embarrassed slash not embarrassed that he's been caught while also doing this macho posturing with riley it it's hilarious yeah. and I love it. And <laughs> I would just watch, I would watch 45 minutes of that. Like just extend that whole scene. It's kind of adorable. It's kind of adorable. But then we end up with a lot more Riley, you know, and, yeah. this, and I know, I know every week I come in and I even, I even stopped doing my moment of Riley because I just couldn't. <laughs> like there's so little that I like about Riley, especially now, especially now it's really, really hard to find the positive in Riley. Um, yeah. His whole petulance about everything about the fact that that Buffy doesn't need him um, just kind of drives me crazy. I mean, the the fact is, like, if he and Buffy had ever talked or ever, (laughs) ever spoke to each other, then Dawn, Dawn's little, oh, she doesn't cry, you know, the way the angel made her cry, you know, and he's... Oh, my God. And Riley is upset that he doesn't make Buffy miserable. Like... I, I don't yeah. I don't understand that. And I mean, I like I understand, like, I know exactly what's happening here, you know, and I know that Dawn is trying to make him feel better because Dawn, the child, understands that healthy relationships don't involve, you know, the screaming and crying and rending of clothes, you know, whatever. Um, but but with Riley, he just it doesn't matter. Like it, nothing is ever going to be enough for him. He's so incredibly insecure. And knowing that he's, you know, he's good for Buffy and that he's a normal guy and that he doesn't have to be a superhero and that he doesn't have to have this darkness, like, that's not something he can do. He's just so incredibly, incredibly insecure about the whole thing. And it's really irritating. Well, and Riley getting down about what Don tells him bums me out for a number of reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, First, as you say, Don is 14 years old. Yeah. She is a... 
young teenager, mm-hmm. not a in no way a relationship <laughs> expert. Second, right. what Don says is great and super yeah. valid. Yeah. Third, Don describes Buffy's relationship with Angel thusly. Yeah. Every day was like the end of the world. She doesn't get all worked up like that over you. Yeah. That's when you know it's real, right? When every day is like the end of the fucking world? When every day no. is the end of the world? That's goddamn exhausting. Oh, my God. That is not, not only is that unsustainable, right. but that sounds completely fucking miserable. And exactly. Riley wants that for himself and for Buffy? Yes. Uh, what? Not because not because he just because it's worth making her miserable if it buffs up his ego. But 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 yeah. he's no, a, with you. he was a psych major. I know. <laughs> I'm so disturbed breaking this no, down. And you should like be. it was it's, bad. Yeah. It was bad watching it, but breaking it down now, I'm like, hold the fuck on. Right. What? And like, yeah, it's a it it sucks. Like Mm -hmm. you love her. She doesn't love you. We were there with you in the previously on like that sucks. Mm -hmm. And that's a real experience that people have. Unbalanced feelings and relationships are real. Mm -hmm. And it's awful Mm -hmm. when you realize that nothing that you do is going to make that other person. Yeah. Have the feelings for you. It's it's. Right. It might be the actual worst. It is really terrible. But this idea that like, you know, and this is the thing is that he always, you know, there's so many times throughout the run of the show where he's like, well, you make me crazy. You make me I love you so much that, you know, I can't like all this kind of stuff that he just loses his mind. Right. And so it always ends up being somehow Buffy's fault that he's going into darkness, right? So then he goes and to the bar and he meets up with Sandy the Vamp and he <laughs> lets her bite him um, because he has to be, I don't know, dark for her pleasure. It's just it's so freaking <laughs> irritating. And then, of course, he stakes her, which is like, well, OK, first of all, she was biting you, but you let her and you wanted her to. And then that was clearly you, consensual. Biting. It was clearly consensual. And she wasn't trying to kill him or anything, you know, and he Apparently just stakes not. her. You know, I mean, granted, he stakes her. She's a vampire. She was going to kill a lot of other people. But so, like in this particular moment, it feels a little shitty to do, <laughs> you know, it feels, it feels like okay, entrapment. Fact- it feels like Slayer entrapment. <laughs> well, and also... Mm-hmm. The fact that staking Sandy is apparently like a super chill, normal thing to do yeah. while letting Spike burn to a crisp is not super chill mm-hmm. feels misogynistic to me. Mm, yeah. I mean, I get that Spike has to stay in the story and Spike like... Spike has delay armor, so that's And there's no thing. reason for Riley to kill Spike, but there's, there's also... Not I think no reason. Well, I for, think like, he knows, like, though, that if he killed Spike... I think he knows that Buffy wouldn't like it. I think he doesn't want to find out how much Buffy wouldn't like it if he killed Spike. Yeah. So I think there's yeah. that too. I'm or not else sure Riley if it's misogyny, is just a little but bit in love with ha- Spike. Mm, well, uh, c- no. Could you blame him? I, I mean, mean, it's Spike. <laughs> it's Spike. But it was funny though because when Spike was getting when he was holding Spike out in the sunlight and Spike was getting all smoky, I'm like, I wonder what vampire smoke smells like. <laughs> Oh God! Is not it like a good. burnt hot dog on the coals, or is it like no, well, burnt hair? Well, presumably they're not fresh. They're not like fresh. they're not gonna smell. 
I don't think that's going to smell good. I was just curious. I was like, I wonder what that smells like. I don't know why. It's just a a thought that I had in the middle of this. You just had a moment. You were just in your senses and you had a moment. It wasn't that interesting. And so I was just looking for things to think about. Um, But Riley goes down this like, you know, (laughs) we're seeing Riley go down this dark path. Right. You know, that that's all because Buffy doesn't love him enough. And then at the end, he goes, you know, to the hospital and she goes in, you know, to be with her mother. And he just sits there, mm-hmm. stands by himself and watches. And I'm supposed to feel sorry. I mean, if you've ever been in the hospital to support someone and they've got to go see their loved one and you feel yeah. sorry for yourself because they don't need you enough. Like, <laughs> I mean, that is just, it's so far beyond my oh comprehension. My I don't oh understand God. that. Buffy, it was so hard for me when your mom had a brain tumor. No, (laughs) because you didn't need me uh, enough. You know, I mean, and the thing is, is that she needs him plenty in this. Like, he's taking care of Dawn, and that's huge for Buffy. And uh, just the idea, like, making making somebody else's tragedy about you because they have to prove that they need you or whatever. It's just like, this is where the, the hate that I have for Riley you know, kind of like really crystallizes at this point in the story. <laughs> and then it just, it goes backward into ever. There's like a backsplash of like, I hate him so much here. It can't be contained by this moment. And that's why I hate him so much through the entire run of Buffy from the moment he's floppy haired douchebag in the bookstore in season four. And, you know, they bump into him the first time. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm just, I'm so overly irritated by the whole thing that while I think there are things within this story that I kind of like, you know, me, I love a dark arc. I mean, you saw like anybody listened to still dead knew how much I dug Wesley's darkness. Right. You know, (laughs) so seeing Riley go dark, honestly, for me is, is not a bad thing. I kind of like it, but I don't like the reason why it's happening. I don't like the, the idea that it is somehow Buffy's fault. Um, I don't like the way that he is whining, uh, you know, for himself because she doesn't love him enough. Like, get out of the relationship if you don't think she loves you enough or accept how much she loves you and keep going. Like, that's those are your choices, you know? Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I find it really irritating. The whole thing just just grates on me. What I love, though, is that mm-hmm. he takes Dawn for ice cream into the carousel mm-hmm. instead of taking her to school, which is the yeah. one thing that Buffy explicitly asks him to do. Like, mm-hmm. he wants to help. He's there. He wants to help. Buffy looks at the clock, is like take Dawn, you know, yeah. take care of Dawn, take her take to her school. To school. Mm-hmm. And then he doesn't. And I I just kind of like that this is the Riley Finn version of breaking the rules. <laughs> like, oh, we're going to play hooky from school and get on the ice cream cone. And like, yeah. okay. I kind of, I, I, I mean, okay. Buffy asks him to do, like Buffy asks him specifically for one thing and given everything else, like, yeah, he should have done that one thing. So, but with regard to Dawn, I kind of like that he takes her for ice cream and takes her to the carousel and, and like does something for her, you know, to support her. Yeah. Like that feels, I guess with Dawn, it feels like genuine support. Like he's genuinely allowing this moment to be about Dawn, whereas every moment with Buffy is about him. You know, and so yeah. I kind of liked that. But I also, oh my God, I mean, at the at the carousel. 
you know, Dawn's memories. I had right. my 10th birthday party here. And here we are. Like, we're in this situation. We're in this particular episode or in this particular scene in this episode. Uh, we've got all this dramatic irony, right? Because we as the audience know something that the characters within the scene do not. And so, you know, we have I had my 10th birthday party here, you know, and then I'm, I'm thinking, oh, my God, kid. No, you didn't. You're eight weeks old, you know. Um, yep. And then Dawn mentioning Angel, too, is so weird because I don't think we ever get I think even in um, in forever. Right. Right after the body at the at the um, at the funeral. I don't even think Dawn sees Angel or interacts with Angel then. But the idea that like so. Angel right now over in season two of Angel, which is what's going on over there, that his memories have been like he has gone from somebody who didn't have, you know, Buffy didn't have a little sister, didn't have a relationship with her to there's this kid that he had a relationship with, you know, that he knew he knew Don, you know, um, and he's having and those memories are, are, you know, being implanted into his brain, even though we never we never textually reference it at all in, in Angel the series. Um, but at this point in Angel, Darla is messing with Angel's head like seriously you know um mm -hmm. and so there's so much and i'm like oh my god it's just like i hadn't really thought about the fact that dawn was in angel's life and angel would have had a a relationship with her you know um so that was kind of crazy but yeah it's a it's a wild twisted i don't know train of thought yeah. that you have to climb aboard yeah, to like spin you... out everything all the implications of dawn being part of the world now yeah yeah well and apparently the the key her keyness is something that can be tracked mm -hmm. and picked up upon yeah. by giant snake by monsters giant which snake is monster kind of rad <laughs> like of course we know what's going on right you know we know that when she screams and mm -hmm. the snake takes off that yeah. like oh shit you know and buffy says to giles you know it knows it knows and they go after it mm -hmm. but there's something there's i don't i feel like that moment didn't get enough oomph yeah. <laughs> behind it that right mm -hmm. it took one you know it apparently crashes into the magic box takes one sniff and is like gotta go like there's no... me a key. yeah like that's i don't know i wanted that mm -hmm. and maybe it doesn't hit hard enough because we don't we know who she mm -hmm. is right we know right. what's what mm -hmm. but everybody else the, right well saw this thing happen and there is this moment too where willow says why was he afraid of dawn you know and then nobody else yeah. questions anything at that point you know um it's just giles and buffy that go out rushing but yeah like that moment though when the snake goes to dawn and dawn screams and like you know the the realization from buffy the understanding from buffy mm -hmm. i think it does have a little more dramatic impact than necessarily we really give it in that moment although that moment is kind of crazy and of course this is the the first time that something crashes through the window there is something i mean i get it it's a snake you know fine <laughs> it's usually humans crashing through windows that i'm like why does nobody like doors like what is the problem with doors? like in, in my entire life i've never thrown myself at a window and if i had it just would have given me a headache i never would be able to crash through it like what is this with people crashing through windows all the time it's so dramatic it's such a drama queen move um but the snake <laughs> itself though uh the snake from beginning to end oh boy 
is kind of delightful in how terrible it is. Like Glory goes to uh, to do the incantation, right? She reaches into the cage and she pulls at out the zoo. The, at the it's zoo. It's so funny. The rubberiest <laughs> of rubber snakes that I have ever seen. Like it is so clear that this is just a rubber snake. Like there's nothing about that snake that indicates it has ever been alive. You know, it is, it is nothing. Um, and so she's got this big rubber snake and then we get this weird ass cobra with arms, which I just, there is nothing. And the effect of it is terrible when Buffy is punching it in the face and killing it with her hands <laughs> at the end. And you just see her punch, punch, punch. And I was like, how long did poor Sarah Michelle Geller have to straddle this rubber fucking snake and just punch it in the face over and over and over again well, to get those after shots. After strangling it with a chain. After strangling a, it with a chain, a, which failed had it to with kill this it. motherfucking snake and this, this motherfucking, motherfucking chain. chain. <laughs> no, the snake is just I, I, just, I just can't like this. I just can't with I can't take the snake seriously. It is it is a terrible, terrible, terrible effect um, and made worse by the arms. The arms are ridiculous. <laughs> the arms make it laughable. Like if it didn't have arms, I think I might have been semi like not OK with it, but just like better. Um, but the, uh -huh. the rubber arms, it's just no. The good. arms really feel like a four o'clock in the morning kind of decision. <laughs> like you're sitting around the writer's room just like, oh, I know, I know what we do. <laughs> we put big old He-Man arms we on it. Big like, old He-Man, we just stick them right on. But like, oh like why? Like where, I don't know, the, the whole thought process that goes along with that. I'm sure there was a reason. They probably had to have a guy inside the suit. And maybe they couldn't restrict the guy's arms. So they had to just were like, well, we can't restrict knows. his arms. So we'll just, you know, <laughs> stick the arms out, you know. Um, but yeah, it's just I, I don't know why I'm obsessing. Like, I really am fixating on the arms for some reason. It's just it was a bit, well, because it was just it a is, bit too much be, for me. OK, because it is absolute chaos tomfoolery shenanigan it is. bananas. Like, it it's is just bananas. not. It's not scary. It it's makes it not... so much less scary. So much yeah. less scary. You know? Yeah, and I don't I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it's just it's it's just it's just ridiculous, ridiculous, ridiculous bad. And I'm just <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I don't know, Noelle. I don't have a whole lot left to say about Shadow. Unfortunately, I just feel like there's a lot of there isn't a lot of there there in There's Shadow. I mean, we, we do get we get the diagnosis for Joyce, you know, which is a big moment, yeah. right, where we find yeah. out um, what's going on. We get a little bit of Ben, the intern, who comes in and talks to Buffy and is oh, supposed to be charming. Yeah, with some great visual foreshadowing, though. Mm -hmm. When he sits down next to her. He does not get hero leading man lighting. He gets creepy shadowy lighting. He does. He's, I didn't even he's notice that. Lit, 
Yeah, his face, I mean, he's lit so that we can see him, but he doesn't have that nice spotlight of like, a I halo. am a handsome young intern sitting next to the protagonist. He's got, <laughs> he is a little shadowy. He doesn't shadowy. get Grey's Anatomy lighting, right? He's a little sketchy. All right. Yeah. How interesting. How interesting yeah. that that's a visual cue. Um, yeah, I mean, he comes in, he does this, you know, kind of pseudo charming, empathetic thing you know um you know get some rest get out it just know. rubs me the fucking wrong way well i don't yeah. know i don't know it's just well he's got uh, floppy hair douchebag written all over him you know i he mean is, he's just yeah. yeah he's really really yeah. part of that that whole he's part of that whole long line of you know there's like a factory <laughs> In Sunnydale that does nothing but produce floppy hair douchebags. Um, oh. And he's just another one in a long line of them that are going to oh <laughs> interact God. with Buffy throughout the years. Um, but yeah, so he comes down, he sits with Buffy. Buffy's trying to process, you know, this information from the doctor, um, you know, and and figure out what's going on. And we, you know, we have... Um, Buffy taking care of Dawn while they're waiting and just and one of the things about this um, this whole thing with Joyce is that while everything in Buffy is like heightened metaphor, you know, the monster representing something or like, you know, being being part of this like heightened fantasy world in which she lives, that there is something so incredibly mundane about, you know, sitting at the hospital waiting for a surgery to be over, waiting to get some information, a prognosis, um, Mm -hmm. you know, all of that. Um, And so there is something about that mundanity, you know, within this season of Buffy, like everything with Joyce's illness, you know, um, does have that kind of very real world experience feel to it. Like most of Mm -hmm. the deaths, most of the danger, most of the threat, I mean, pretty much all of it in Buffy is always fantastically sourced, you know, mystically sourced. Um, and, And here we have this like mundane Buffy experience and it almost feels... It feels very fish out of water, like for the show itself, you know, it just yeah. feels weird to be in that space. And yet it is, um, you know, it is really heartbreaking. Um, and poor Joyce, too, when she's preparing oh to tell Dawn. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, that's it's so awful. That that guts me. But when you said, you know, usually the the. um the source of the fear mm-hmm. or the, you know, the source of the death even yeah. is mystical mm-hmm. in nature. And here this is really mundane. Well, we've been working on making Buffy an adult in the mystical sense for mm-hmm. a while. Right. Um, and this illness and caring for her mom and sort of managing, you know, mm-hmm. seeing her sister through this is making her an adult in the mundane yeah. Yeah. space. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she in a absolutely really, becomes an adult, like really in this unavoidable season. way, <laughs> like yeah. really unavoidable. Yeah. yeah, and it's it's hard. I mean, it's hard to watch. But speaking of the mystical mm-hmm. and the medical, mm-hmm. we get this little throwaway conversation mm-hmm. when Buffy goes to the magic box looking for a spell, mm-hmm. a healing spell. Right. There's everybody sitting around, and and Buffy's like. We're going to use magic to, you know, fix my mom. And everyone's like, no, it doesn't work that way. (laughs) And I'm just kind of like, really? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, this is just this is some world building that we're acting like 
oh, right. this is just a thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I get it. There's no like get out a cancer free card. You know, there's right. no like mm-hmm. we're not, you know, it does not look good for Joyce and it's going to continue not yeah. looking good for Joyce. Mm-hmm. But the whole like, no, you can't mix the mystical and the medical felt Mm-hmm. Not totally out of left field to me, but definitely a little surprising. Did you have thoughts about that at all? I mean, I think it makes sense, you know, that that you can use magic to fight magic. You can use, you know, mystical powers to fight mystical forces. Um, but that when you when you bring those into, you know, everyday experiences or whatever it's going to throw something off that like the idea that you just can't you can't heal that you know you can't heal like medical problems with mystical healing um i think that there's there's a line drawn between the mystical and the mundane you know in that moment and i think that there is something to that 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 feels right and appropriate that there should be a limit to what you can do um, if, if you have this, this, you know, unlimited source of power to f- like make the world what you want it, you know, how you want it as opposed to how it is. Um, that seems to me like something that would have repercussions that we we're going to see Willow do exactly that. in in all of season six, you know, right. um, when she decides how she wants the world to be and it becomes a, a big problem for her. Um, but yeah, no, I thought that was, I thought that was right and, and appropriate. We just haven't had really a mundane problem that they've tried to solve with magic. So they've always been able to go to magic because they've always been fighting mystical problems. Yeah. It just felt a little bit surprisingly Mm -hmm. direct and sudden to me right i think it i think it's the correct answer mm-hmm. um you know story-wise but just in terms of the world building yeah giles and tara are both just like uh no no yeah. never no nope, mm-hmm. does not work yep. don't even try it bad mm-hmm. idea and i it kind of brought me to a little bit of a screeching halt like yeah. oh oh this is okay this is a thing in the world and we're just drawing this line in the sand and mm-hmm. there it is. Yeah. Or without oh. even saying that maybe there's something we can do, you know? Like, yeah. Like, I know I've asked you for curses <laughs> as my and witchy like, friend. Oh. And you were always like, no, I have to make that positive because that energy comes back. Right. You know? Yeah. I mean, you depending know. on, <laughs> depending on how you want to practice. Uh, depending yes, on I, how you want to practice, right? Personally, mm-hmm. personally, I do not do things to harm people. You, yeah, least. and you shouldn't. You know, you yeah. shouldn't. Um, but there, that, that there are certain lines with, um, with magic. That there are certain lines with, um, you know, with those kinds of powers that you have to obey. And we haven't really set that up in the world building at this point because we haven't really had to. I mean, we haven't had. Many mundane the the mundanity was you know Buffy has a test or she has her SATs yeah. or whatever and and instead of creating mundane problems we just sort of used it as a um, as a foil for all the magical stuff right you know yeah um, so so we haven't really come to this line before but you're right it is it is a really sudden hard stop that was not uh was not really like uh, foreshadowed you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely see that. Um, but yeah, so we are uh, starting down the uh, the really long, 
horrible road toward uh, toward the body, <laughs> which will be yeah. coming up here in a few episodes. Um, yeah. And that's going to be that's going to be a rough run. But this is this is where it starts getting, you know, really serious for Joyce. We are seeing Buffy kind of forced to grow up, you know, in that and grow up super fast. All right. So, Noelle, what are you wearing? A nice mock turtleneck on uh, Riley. <laughs> I love I love that Captain America white bread tries to go dark and ends up looking like an L.L. Bean model. It's so funny. Yes. It's not mm-hmm. meant to be funny. Yes. I'm sorry. But I it feel is. bad laughing. But when he shows up at the hospital with, with this little turtleneck, yeah. forest green mock turtleneck on, I'm like, oh, honey. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, sweetie. <laughs> um, That's not how you go dark. No, buddy. Oh. <laughs> oh well, and his leather jacket. Yeah. See, I noticed Riley's leather jacket mm-hmm. this episode. He does have one, just to be clear. Yes. <laughs> He's got a leather jacket, and it looks great on him, uh-huh. and he probably didn't kill a woman in the subway to get it. I'm, I'm guessing, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Spike and Buffy both wear black leather jackets. Yeah. Riley's is brown. It's a nice, yeah. sensible, marrying brown. It's a poor guy. Nice, sensible, marrying brown. It is. Oh, man. <laughs> the only thing he's missing are little patches on the elbows, right? I mean, yeah. So sad. So yeah, sad. And is. of course, I continue to enjoy Glory looking overdressed for every occasion. I love it. It makes her look powerful and it also makes her look out of place. Yeah. And she is, of course, very much both. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, both glo- of which the, are, yeah, yeah, <laughs> the glory outfit appreciation will continue. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, she's she's definitely got a really, really good sense of style. Um, so what's your girl power moment of the week? Oh, not with a girl power bit. My girl power moment of the week is the communion of carbonated beverages and the interaction that follows. <laughs> Don't knock the communion of carbonated beverages or gum or breath mints. I mean, there's like, there's real power there. Yeah, <laughs> there's I like real it. power there. I like it. But so Buffy appears with a soda for Dawn mm-hmm. and Dawn starts little kidding it up about the cat scan and why they call it that. Mm-hmm. Is it because the machine looks like a cat? Right. Buffy is right on the edge of annoyance and then mm-hmm. she just stops. Yeah. And she receives Dawn's anxiety. Mm-hmm. This is my favorite kind of girl power moment. Mm-hmm. When our personal and collective histories are rife with sexism or the devaluation of femininity, it can be so helpful to spotlight the power mm-hmm. in nurturing and holding space. Oh, I love that. Do you have anything more kick-assy <laughs> for girl power? I, do, I mean, there's the Anya moment. You know, I mean, there's like, I, <laughs> what are you, stupid or something? Like, I, you know, it's it's a nice Anya moment. I like yeah, it. And it's, Tara, it's, too. Tara's insight, yeah. you know. Um, so I, I think we've got a lot of a lot of our girls showing off their various powers in this episode. All right. So, Noelle, what's your favorite part? My favorite part is Dreg's response to getting hit in the head with Glory's shoe. <laughs> Ow. Thank you. <laughs> 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 so good. Dreg is kind of awesome. 
Dreg is wonderful. Dreg is kind of awesome. And that is the best possible name yes. for that dude. I know. I was thinking about that while I was watching the episode. I'm like, what a great name is His Dreg. His name is Dreg. It's so good. His name is worse than mud. It's worse His name is sediment. <laughs> the least desirable part. <laughs> And yet he's so awesome. What's your favorite part? It's it's Spike and Riley. <laughs> it's Spike taunting Riley um, and uh, and and deluding himself. I mean, I know that he knows he's not really representing his experience with Buffy the night before accurately, um, but deluding <laughs> himself that he has some kind of special space in Buffy's heart because he knows that Joyce is in the hospital, and the only reason he knows is because when he came there to kill Buffy last night and shoot her with a <laughs> shotgun, uh, she happened to be upset over it, and so he found out. Um, um, so, uh, so that I, th- I just think it's it's just incredibly cute, and of course, Spike is almost always my favorite thing. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to join in, come find us on the social medias. Lonnie is at Lonnie Diane Rich on Twitter, and I am at Noella Loud on Instagram. And the hashtag is still pretty. This episode of Still Pretty was brought to you by the Chipperish Media Producers who support us on Patreon at the Power Producer level. These people are the reason why Still Pretty is coming to you free and ad free right now. So thank you to our April producers. Sarah, Shelley, Kristen, Alice, Erica, Abigail, and Jonathan. And because of this incredible support from our power producers and everybody who supports Chipperish Media, we have made our most recent stretch goal in which we are going to Zoom with a goat. Yes, Chipperish hosts are going to show up and Zoom with a goat with you all. So if you would like to get in on that, it is not too late to support Chipperish Media as this will be a patron-only experience. So head on over to patreon.com slash chipper and throw a buck or two our way and you too will be able to zoom with a goat which is everybody's dream and this week's special message to our power producers you sold someone a Coles amulet with a Sobeki and Bloodstone are you stupid or something? to find out how you too can support Chipperish Media visit patreon.com slash Chipperish other ways you can show your support write a great review on Apple Podcasts tell your friends about the show or try to look up something you never saw and don't know the name of. We'll be back next time with Listening to Fear, the ninth episode of season five. Until then, ow! Thank you. Thank you.